to feed my spirit. I was once a king. You are a specter from the gods. Walk with me. All right, you're listening to Wait You Were Mormon with Devin Brown. I'm your host, Devin Brown. And for episode 17, we've got the very lovely Emily Dane. She opens up about her conversion at 16, her mission experience in Brazil, coming home from that mission early due to her family's faith crisis, and much, much more. I think you guys will really enjoy what she has to say. And if you haven't already, why not check out www.waityourmormon.com? It's an easy way to access all of the episodes in my social links, and it makes sharing one of your favorite episodes a breeze. And it's very easy to navigate on a phone, so that's always a plus. Um, As always, I appreciate everyone tuning in and helping to spread these stories. Um, And if you're out there and you need to talk and you want to do it anonymously, please reach out. I'd love to talk. I'm here to listen, and I'd love to help you out wherever you are on your journey. Enjoy the episode. Yeah, um, well, then we can just jump into it. So would you mind just telling us a little about yourself? Okay, so I'm Emily Dane, and I've been an ex-Mormon for four years now, uh, four years in September. Um, But I come from a family of five kids. Uh, My dad's side was all Mormon, all going back. My third great-grandfather is Wilford Woodruff, and so they were definitely, like, true blue Mormons, Mm -hmm. you know? But my mom's side was... Uh, not, you know, Californian and everything, kind of the opposite mm-hmm. <laughs> of Mormon, but she converted uh, for my dad. But long story short, um, I didn't join until I was 16. Um, so obviously that, you know, didn't last too long. But mm-hmm. yeah, so now I'm just living in the Blue Ridge Mountains with my partner and a writer. I go to school full time um, and I'm a junior, so I should graduate next year hopefully <laughs> yeah awesome that'd be cool um yeah. well at 16 like what made you want to take the plunge so to speak so um originally so my parents met in yellowstone mm-hmm. and my mom was 19 she was working there she didn't know anything about mormonism or anything she just fell in love with my dad and mm-hmm. so she kind of got baptized for him and eventually learned all this stuff, but it was before the internet was big. So Mm. the thing she learned was basically just that there was polygamy. She didn't learn that there was young girls involved or anything. She kind of got fed the narrative of, you know, he married them out of necessity to take care of them and, Mm. you know, all that, all that stuff. And so when I was really little, uh, we left. And so I don't have any really specific memories of the church necessarily, but I knew that my dad's family was all in it. And I knew the bare minimum about Mormonism. I knew it was kind of strange. I knew that all of my aunts and uncles had a lot of kids. I knew basic stuff like that. Um, So my mom was very open with us about why she left and stuff. But it was mainly because of that. And it was mainly because she kind of had to cut off a lot of her family. You know, they weren't there at the wedding. They had to stand outside the temple. So I know it was really traumatic for her. So Like I said, I knew the bare minimum, but when I was around 16, um, my mom decided to join again because I'm the oldest of five kids. And so I know that she was kind of nervous about me getting a little bit older and she wasn't entirely sure where to go with that. Um, And on top of that, 
I don't know. I, I kind of feel like from what she's told me, Mormonism was kind of still home to her, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. You know, she joined when she was 19. She was still really young. And I had never really put that together before because she was my mom. You know, I, I couldn't really picture, you know, her being a young adult and falling in love and all this stuff in the context of Mormonism. And so she decided to join and I threw a fit, <laughs> like a complete fit. My other siblings didn't you know, they were like, fine, whatever. Um, but I grew up agnostic and, you know, just we were taught a lot of what you would say is more like Buddhist sort of beliefs and stuff yeah. like that, but definitely agnostic. So I just, I refused. I didn't really know anything. I just knew that women just happened to seem to not really have jobs generally and everything like that. And it just, something was like off to me, but yeah. then we met the missionaries and They seemed super normal and it kind of made me feel a little bit crazy. (laughs) And so um, I decided to go to church with them and everyone was super nice. And I ended up deciding to get baptized with them. So we got baptized in January. We had the discussions in November. So it was kind of a longer process just Mm -hmm. because my parents would be getting baptized twice. So, yeah. And then we were in and I didn't leave until I was almost 20. So. And that's post mission or you like went on a mission? That was during my mission. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, When you were taking the discussions, like were they sister missionaries or elders? No, it was two elders and Mm -hmm. they were really young. One of them had just gotten into the mission field. So he was super excited. Mm -hmm. And the other one was kind of like, he was from Utah. He's very stereotypical mormon missionary blonde very just excited about the gospel wants to tell everyone about it and having a very minimal knowledge of it i i knew what the book of mormon was i didn't know anything much about it you know and so having them like talk about it like it's normal and like it's a good thing again made me feel really crazy so at the beginning of the discussion i was like still had all these reservations and still felt really weird but they seemed so nice and normal and they were close to my age. So it kind of gave me a view of what I could have, you know, and they just seemed really comforted by all this stuff. And so for the first time in a long time, I felt kind of spiritual Mm -hmm. and that kind of drew me in and it made anything that I thought was weird, even though I, looking back, I knew basically nothing about it, but anything that I thought was weird suddenly seemed trivial, like, Mm -hmm why should I care? They don't care. They seem really happy. And it really did appeal to me to become close to my dad's side of the family. Um, We remained close with my grandparents, but my aunts and uncles never spoke to us when we left. It was really dramatic. And so I really loved the idea of being able to get to know them and kind of reclaim my roots. You know, Mm -hmm. again, I was born in Utah, my ancestries in Mormonism. Mm -hmm. So that definitely appealed to me before I knew exactly what that would mean. Yeah, yeah, no, that, I, I definitely see where you're coming from with that because, you know, as you know, on serving a mission, like a big draw is like pushing families and the idea of eternal families. So, you know, that's yeah. always a big part of it. Um, did you actually have any sort of like monumental spiritual experience or anything like that? Or was there anything doctrinal that appealed to you? Um, the idea of being with my family forever mm-hmm. appealed to me. Um, before we joined, it's not, I know a lot of people are really scared of death or really scared yeah. of this idea of the afterlife. I never really had that. Um, I know my siblings did for sure. Uh, I know my mom definitely was, but 
I kind of had like a piece about it, you know, it just kind of felt like this is just what happens, but suddenly getting this alternative where it's suddenly, I don't know, like you just know, mm -hmm. you know, there, there was never certainty about any of my beliefs. Again, it was very loose. It was very, you know, we could be right. We could all be wrong. You yeah. just don't know. And so suddenly just giving concrete answers and the answers being, uh, from what I saw, very hopeful, that really, really appealed to me. Um, Cause I hadn't realized before that the uncertainty bothered me with my lifestyle, but mm -hmm. suddenly seeing so many people just so sure, you know, that they were gonna have eternity to live with their families, just, I wanted that, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I know just talking to people, a lot of um, those that did convert, um, I was surprised to hear that they had issues with like the idea of Joseph Smith, you know, did that ever, was that ever an issue for you? Or is that something that you accepted pretty easily since you kind of had more of a background? I thought it was really weird, honestly. Um, just because beforehand I knew that Joseph Smith founded the church and I knew he was young, mm -hmm. but I didn't really know the whole, you know, the narrative that they tell about the first vision and everything like that. Um, so during the first discussion, they showed us like a video of like a, I don't know, like actors playing it out. And I did think that was really weird. That was one of the few parts in the discussion where I would, I felt really, really uncomfortable. Uh, but after the first discussion was out of the way, I don't know, it just suddenly felt like, why is this so weird? You know, and if you can buy all this other stuff, why can't I buy this as well? So I just tried to focus on the more easy to swallow parts mm -hmm. of the Joseph Smith sort of thing. Um, you know, according to Mormons, you know, him and Emma had a really loving relationship. Yeah. So I tried to focus on that. And I tried to focus on this idea of him just being a family man almost and just being like a humble sort of person who just wants to find truth. And that helped me a lot to swallow the rest of it. And by two years in, I'd completely been comfortable with it and everything, but it did take a while for me to be able to talk about it and not feel embarrassed or uncomfortable. And because um, I had so many like family members who weren't in the church. So I had to be okay with, you know, talking about these things. It made me kind of self-aware of what I was, you know, taking in. Mm -hmm. um, you know, because you're in high school at this time, were there a lot of other like Mormon students around you or, you know, what was your experience, you know? being a, a new Mormon like throughout high school? So um, we got the discussions when we were in Washington State mm -hmm. and I lived on an island so there wasn't very many students. I think there was a hundred kids in my graduating class but there were two Mormons and I remember just thinking they were very strange. They seemed really judgmental. Um, and I remember the first time we had the discussions, it was midweek and so church was coming up. And so the missionaries invited us to come to church with them. And I remember just being so nervous that I was gonna run into these kids that I'd been nice to, but I was pretty sure they knew I didn't like them very much. And I was really nervous to have to, I don't know, to kind of be humbled in that way, you know, and sit next to them. And I didn't really know what to expect. Um, and it turned out my drama teacher was also Mormon and I had no idea. And so I showed up. There was all these people and they just assumed that I had been inactive or something and that's why they hadn't seen me. So there was a lot of explaining and I just 
it was just really overwhelming and not a great experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but right after that, the next week we moved. And so okay. we moved to the DC area for a while and the wards there are really, really strong. Mm-hmm. So that's when I came to the ward parties and everyone was so nice mm-hmm. and so welcoming and bringing us Christmas decorations because we had just moved and didn't have our stuff yet. And it was the complete experience. I don't know if I would have been so fully converted if we had moved somewhere else. Mm-hmm. I feel like Utah might've been too much, mm-hmm. but I feel like anywhere else would have not been enough, but here they were inviting us to Christmas parties and just so, so, so kind. And the kindness is ultimately what completely converted me because mm-hmm. I thought there must be something here. Everyone is so nice. Um, and it wasn't just our ward, it was the whole stake. We were going to stake dances and it was so different than the school dances I was used to, you know? And so it was just kind of a nice change of pace, I guess. And then at that point, my junior year, we moved to Utah. And by then um, that was a super different experience, but mm-hmm. then everyone was Mormon. The entire school was Mormon and I was considered the outcast cause mm-hmm. I was a convert and I didn't know as much as everyone. Um, and I laugh with my sisters about this all the time. We felt like we had to use Google Translate with all the Utah Mormons because of all their slang and everything that they spoke about. So it was definitely a huge adjustment. But I think the D.C. time, I think we were there eight or nine months. Mm-hmm. That was ultimately what completely I was completely converted by the end of that. Mm-hmm. What made you want to serve a mission? So um, my grandpa, I was really, really close to him, uh, my dad's dad, and he had served in Brazil um, when he was younger and then served multiple missions with my grandma in Brazil as well uh, in the Sao Paulo area before they split up the missions and everything. And then later he served as mission president there. And it just, he was just there at least, I guess, five or six times. He served there a lot. Um, And so also some of my uncles served there as well. And one of the, well, two of the times when my grandfather was, serving as mission president there. My aunts were like teenagers, so they came down with them. So Brazil was just a huge part of my family culture. And, you know, we'd go over to their house and there would just be Brazilian art everywhere and they'd be speaking Portuguese. And it was just a big part of everything. And I didn't think I'd get called to Brazil, but seeing that and seeing um, just what it brought to my family culture, I loved it so much. Um, My dad had served in Uh, France and Switzerland when it was one he served in like the Alpine region and so beautiful and uh, one of his he has a huge family one of his other brothers served in Paris the other one served in Scotland so they were going to really beautiful places and I knew that there was I probably wasn't going to get to go to one of those places Um, I I I don't know it just kind of seemed like even if I didn't go to one of those places it would still be an adventure Mm. and when I was Mormon, I felt really bad saying that was the reason I wanted to go was to explore, to get out no matter where it was. Hopefully it would be somewhere cool like Brazil or something. But I just wanted to kind of have this different experience. And after I decided at that point, that's when I got excited about teaching, about um, converting myself more, because I would notice that I didn't know as much as people who had been born Mormon there was a huge gaps in what I knew but it was one of those things where I wouldn't know that until it would be until it would come up and I would just I don't know like it wasn't something that I necessarily knew I was missing so much of and Mm -hmm. I kind of felt like a mission would show me the holes in my testimony or the holes in my knowledge of the church and I would be able to fill it in so that by the time I got off my mission Mm -hmm. I could 
make a good wife for somebody and I wouldn't be super lost. Um, and so it was kind of all of that, but the initial reason was just, it sounded exciting. I wanted to go. And before we were Mormon, I was really ambitious. I had so many goals and dreams. And, you know, when you join the church as a woman, you're immediately taught, you know, your goal is to get married. Your goal is to have as many kids as you can have wanting to have a career is selfish. If you have a job, it should be on the side, you know? And so that was kind of taken away from me all of a sudden. And so a mission kind of seemed like an exception to that rule, even though it's not a job, even though it's not necessarily an ambitious thing, it was still something exciting I could do before I had to get married and settle down. So did you end up getting called to Brazil? I did. Yeah. I went to uh, Santos in Brazil and it kind of, I went to the CTM in Sao Paulo. And after that, Santos is the name of my mission, but it stretches right up to just south of Rio. So it's just that coastal region oh. uh, with like jungle hills. It's pretty remote. There's literally Santos is the only city like sort of, it's still not a very big city, but it's mm-hmm. coastal and beautiful. Everything else was very rural and jungle and beaches. And it was just so stunning. And most of my mission was up there. I never served in the city. Santos, I would just travel there every so often to see the mission president. But um, right towards the end of my mission, I was put in a more neighborhoody sort of situation. Um, but most of my mission was served in like this really beautiful jungly area um, called Cataguatatuba. And it was my favorite. I miss it so much. <laughs> yeah. Um, so obviously you had like a lot of expectations about Brazil, you know, kind of growing up around your grandfather and stuff. Um, did where you served, did it meet those expectations or kind of how did it differ? So um, I think there were a few things. Um, I didn't know Portuguese before I, I left, mm-hmm. but I heard it all the time. So the Portuguese was probably the one thing that was exactly how I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. Um, but the food was completely different than I thought. Um, before I left, I was trying to be vegetarian and then I got there and looking back I'm vegan now so looking Mm. back I'm now used to like telling people no like I don't want that you know Mm. if I went now I could say no to things but not having known the language yet being still uncertain about Mm. my diet and everything I get there and it's you know meat and cheese and all this stuff in the CTM and so that wasn't great. I wasn't a huge fan of the food in the CTM. I loved the juice. I loved all the fruits. But when I got out in the field, um, I was really shocked since I was in a really poor area. Mm. We didn't have the meats and cheese. So my expectations were just kind of all over the place, you know. Mm. So I got to the field and it was whatever they could find really. It was mainly beans and rice with whatever fruit they had growing. Um, Sometimes we'd have like a coconut as well but some of the families who live near the like right on the coast they would have fish with it um sometimes there would be some sort of chicken organ (laughs) it wasn't like super great it was usually like chicken hearts and stuff like that which i was not a huge fan of so i would just kind of mix it into all the beans you know um and there was always salad so it was i guess like the poor version of brazilian food and i preferred that yeah to what I initially thought was going to happen when I got there. So that was good. And honestly, as far as the country itself goes, it was so much more beautiful than I thought it would be. I knew it was going to be stunning. I'd seen photos before, but I just 
I don't know, I assumed it would be more developed. And I get there and there's definitely development and cities and everything in Sao Paulo. But as soon as you get out, you know, you're going through roads over like jungles and everything. And that's how you get to my mission. And then you get to Santos and it's just beaches. And then any other part of the mission is just paradise. And I just was completely caught off guard by that. I didn't expect there to be so many wild animals and beauty. And it was, it definitely exceeded all my expectations in that sense. Yeah. Um, when you were talking about like the food that you were having once you actually got to the mission area, and I was thinking like I would have definitely taken that as like God knows exactly like what I need and he's putting me in a place where I can have foods that I feel more comfortable with. Um, did you kind of feel that way? I definitely did. I feel like I didn't I wasn't that sort of Mormon before I left, but when I got to the mission field, I suddenly what I would see now was like superstitious, but back then I just thought, oh, this is a moment where it's just strengthening my testimony. And again, having gone to the CTM and mm. seeing that it was all like everything that I basically hated, like the one thing I would like besides the juice was occasionally they would have bread mm. and that was what I was eating. And then I get out and it just was like a 180. And so I definitely remember thinking that I'm just meant to be here. I'm meant mm. to be in this specific area. And it made it easier whenever there would be chicken hearts or organs of some kind. Cause I'd be like, all right, well, mm. God can't do it every day. You know? And so definitely kind of on that sort of vein. Mm. Yeah. I mean, the missions are a little different. Like, you know, I was in Ghana, so we ended up eating, you know, like food is a big part of Ghanaian culture. Um, yeah. So it's, you know, they live very communally in these compounds and eating in large groups is very common. And so when you're coming around, people really just want to feed you. Um, was that something that was encouraged in Brazil or would, did your mission president discourage having member meals and investigator meals? Um, so that was actually really encouraged. My mission president for basically the whole time I was there. I was on my mission for six months before I left. Five months of those, my mission president was Brazilian. Mm -hmm. he, he came from uh, the northeast of Brazil, and that's a very warm, welcoming area. They're very known for their hospitality, um, their kisses on both cheeks, mm -hmm. very um, kind of what people picture Brazilians to be like, yeah. you know, and so uh, he encouraged, you know, big meals and everything, which I think is why I enjoyed the beginning of my mission so much mm -hmm. because um, we were encouraged to hug. We were encouraged to kiss on the cheek. We were encouraged to organize community meals and everything mm -hmm. and also do a lot of volunteer work. When I talked to people who served in other places, they would occasionally do volunteer work, mm -hmm. but it was mainly tracting. It was mainly teaching lessons. Mm -hmm. I taught lessons but it was kind of almost on the side of yeah. volunteering and doing more community work and that's actually how we got most of our investigators to come to church was mm -hmm. because we were out in the community and doing good and everything and I love that I think it really said a lot about the warmth of that culture the next mission president I had was a little bit more strict and said that you know just go to the meal and get out as quick as possible so that you're tracking but mm -hmm. Before that, it was like, spend as much time as you can and just enjoy yourself and really soak up the culture. Yeah, that's that's definitely a preference, you know, Yeah, <laughs> for sure. So I'm glad you did have that good experience. But you mentioned, um, you know, some places were a little more undeveloped. Um, 
I know a friend of mine, she, she served in California, and I think she was bitten by like three or four dogs or something like oh, that. God. Yeah, and it's yeah. just like, oh, that's horrific. Like, so um, definitely as a woman, like, did you feel safe? Did you feel secure in some of these places? Um. So right when we got to the CTM, they sat all the women down and they gave us a big lecture that, um, you know, we're in Sao Paulo. It's not the safest place. And we were in this place called Casa Verde. And it's this area that's really like not safe at all. Like Sao Paulo isn't safe. And then this area is like really, really bad. Mm-hmm. And so on our on our P days once a week, we were allowed to walk three blocks and that was it. Mm-hmm. And even then there was a lot of like run-ins and thefts and everything mm-hmm. but they sat the women down specifically and said you need to be extra careful on p days make sure that you take like bigger people with you and generally they said that was mm-hmm. going to be the elders um when i got out to the field and it was a lot more remote that made everything feel so much safer because mm-hmm. suddenly i wasn't in the middle of the slums basically yeah. um i definitely had some run-ins um there at one point uh I hadn't been out that long. I think I was out maybe two months. Um, my Portuguese was still shaky. And we went to uh, an investigator's house and her husband had a huge drinking problem and he got really aggressive when he was drinking. And uh, we showed up and he wasn't there. So we decided to teach her a lesson and she had two little kids and they were kind of in the favela area. So they, you know, it was the... I don't know. So it was made of like wood planks and not very sturdy. So whenever like wind would blow even, you could really feel it. And so we're in this little tiny favela house and we're teaching and all of a sudden there's just bangs on the door and we hear gunshots and he had like come back and was angry for some reason. And looking back, I have no idea what he was saying because my Portuguese was so new at the time that, you know, my, my, uh, my companion was having to fill me in on what he was saying because I could understand if people were speaking, but I could not understand if they were slurring their speech Mm -hmm. or yelling and he was doing all of that. Um, But apparently he ended up killing a couple people right on that street and he came right there right after and we just huddled like the kids and I was like whispering to them, trying to keep them calm and just trying to make sure that they didn't make any noises because we were hoping that he would just think that she was gone because clearly he was out of it. Maybe we could do that. And he stayed there what felt like an hour, but apparently it was only five minutes um, just shouting and trying to get like the lock off. Um, but he ended up not coming in. And I was, and at the time I took that as like protection from yeah. God, you know, but um, that was probably the scariest situation I had been in. But other than that, there were thefts. Um, there were, like bugs that would bite and snakes and everything. Um, But, you know, we're walking at night. As a woman, I didn't feel super safe when I'd be in like the coastal area because um, if I went inland a little bit, it'd be fine because it would just be more rural and you generally knew people, but near the coast, that's where people kind of vacation. And so there'd be a lot of people going back and forth and it's right on the way to Rio. So who knows who comes by and there was a lot of instances where sisters were getting attacked or worse Mm. so walking around it i was fine until it would the sun would go down and then it would i'd kind of be on high alert but i kind of just always had faith that you know nothing would happen and that this fear was Mm -hmm. a test or something which 
looking back, that's really problematic, yeah. but that's just how I felt as a Mormon missionary, you know? Yeah. That, I mean, I'm scared, like, listening to you tell that experience. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my, my gosh, that's, that, that's definitely, like, not a, a small thing at all. Um, but those those experiences are always minimized. So, like, did word, well, it sounds like word spread around the mission, like, when these things were happening, or were they kind of kept very on the down low? That specific thing was kind of kept on the down low, because um, we told uh, the elders in our in our mission because they it was technically their area but we were invited to come and teach because it was a woman and she was going to be home alone so we let them know like what happened only mm. because you know they needed to be aware yeah. of this um and they told us just not to tell the mission president because nobody ended up getting hurt that we knew and so the mission president never knew about that and whenever the mission president would know about you know sisters who were getting attacked and everything especially along the coast um they wouldn't tell other people. The only way you'd find out is through other missionaries mm -hmm. who would tell you kind of on the down low or from members who would be like, hey, be careful. Like, that's honestly where I found out all of this stuff in my area was just from members because they didn't care about, you know, trying to make sure all the missionaries stay calm. They just wanted us to be safe. Mm -hmm. And so when they'd see us walking around at night, they'd be like, what are you doing? And be like, we have to stay out until 10 o'clock and then we go in. And they thought we were crazy. So they would always, you know, invite us in, have us teach them a lesson for the millionth time that week. They really tried to keep us safe. And I still keep in contact with a lot of those guys. Yeah, that's awesome. So aside from, yeah, those really scary experiences, um, overall, how did you feel about your mission? I actually loved my mission. It was really hard for me to leave it. Um, I... Like I said, before I left, I had no idea where I was going to go. I thought maybe I'd go stateside. Um, I just had no idea. So getting called there, of all places, it felt like I was coming home. I had never been, but just having been such a huge part of my family, um, it felt amazing. It felt really good also to learn Portuguese after hearing it for so long. I finally could understand what people were saying. So it was a really rewarding experience to be able to communicate with my family members and to be able to communicate with uh, Brazilian family members as well who'd married mm -hmm. into the family and everything and it just was really rewarding and on top of that it was beautiful I've always been very adventurous so on our p-days we'd go on hikes in the jungle and we'd go down to the beach we were allowed to stand on the sand um, we obviously weren't allowed to swim but I loved just exploring and being out there and just completely being out of my element every single chance that we got we'd be exploring and we try to find an excuse for it to fit in with our tracting you know but um i always kind of felt like you know if god sent me here he wants me to explore it so that's kind of how i justified that mm -hmm. but overall um even with the really dangerous and scary situations and even with you know the nights where i wouldn't feel very safe um it still had an underlying comfort to it. You know, I still kind of felt like nothing's actually going to happen, you know? And so that kind of cushioned the blow a little bit, but overall it just was, I don't know. I still don't regret it. I, mm -hmm. I'm really glad I went. Um, I often regret joining the church, yeah. but I don't regret my mission, if that makes sense. Cause mm -hmm. I feel like it shaped me a lot and I really had a fantastic time. You know, everyone gets a little bit homesick, but mm -hmm. I feel like overall I was just so in awe that I was there and that all this stuff was right in front of me finally that mm -hmm. it really made it easier to be away from home. Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. I had the ups and downs, but I, similarly, I don't regret my mission. I feel like it ultimately made me a better, like more mature um, person. Um, and Columbus actually has like a very large Ghanaian population, which is very oh, okay. cool. So I've been able to That's like really cool. actually go to a Ghanaian restaurant and just sometimes I'll be out and I'll just hear like Chui being spoken in stores and stuff. And that's very fun. Like where you are now, is there any sort of Brazilian population? Are you able to still utilize uh, Portuguese at all? I use Portuguese very seldomly. Um, I think in this area, especially I'm in Southwest Virginia, so mm. there's nobody. But sometimes when we go into D.C., occasionally it'll happen. I worked in New York for a little bit mm. and in the city, there was always opportunities, but it'd be super random. It'd be in an art museum or something where I'd hear somebody asking for directions and mm. it's kind of stuff like that. Um, we're, I feel like the most random occurrence was me and my partner were in Iceland um, two summers ago or last summer and we were hitchhiking and the lady who picked us up um, didn't seem to like speak any English or anything mm. and she started like speaking in Portuguese and I just kicked right into it and it was the most random interaction ever and she was from Portugal so she was making fun of the fact that Brazilian Portuguese is considered very um it's like slang yeah. you know it's just it's considered kind of slummy and so um we were just kind of laughing about that and talking my partner's just sitting there like we're in Iceland and we're speaking Portuguese what is happening um so that was probably the most recent time honestly and that was over a year ago so hopefully someday i'll be able to use it more i'd love to move back to brazil or go to portugal or mm -hmm. i know that places in africa they speak it yeah. i would love to go and explore that area yeah that's cool it's cool that it's kind of like muscle memory just kind of pops pops right back in um now did i feel like you came home early from your mission is that right I did. So that's, I left the church mm. from my mission. So okay. probably the worst time to leave the church, but um, yeah, I was out six months, seven months or mm. so. And uh, my grandfather had just passed and it was really, really sudden. He got leukemia. And then a few weeks later he just died. And me and my family were really, really close with him. Um, and we lived close to him when we moved to Utah. So we were over there constantly. So it was a really big blow for my family, including my mom. I wasn't allowed to go home when he got sick and he found out, you know, he got sick. I was gone and everything. So we said goodbye over the phone. We weren't allowed to video chat. It was a really tra traumatizing experience. Yeah. It was one like really hard experience of my mission. Um, but my mom took it really hard. And so they went to the funeral and that was the first I don't know. That was the first big experience where my mom's faith in the plan of salvation was suddenly put to the test. Mm. Before that, you know, you can say even, you know, you believe it and everything, but uh, her stepdad had died when we had just joined and she just kind of knew, you know, faith is going to be a little bit rocky. On top of that, um, he was a non-member. So most of the funeral didn't involve people who were entirely sure, you know, mm. what was going to happen. This was the first Mormon funeral where we knew the person, we were close with the person and everything. And again, I wasn't there, but apparently it was su supposedly a really joyful thing for everyone else. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they honored him and certain parts of that are beautiful, but my mom was just devastated. My whole family, my whole immediate family was just devastated and um, just really traumatized by the whole thing mm -hmm. so i know that when they got home 
my mom got on the church website and was just looking up about the plan of salvation and long story short ended up finding all this stuff about joseph smith and that's when she found out that it wasn't just old women who needed a place to live it was 14 year olds and children and you know and my my dad he had a he has a degree in history so some like church members always excuse all that with which is normal for the time my dad was like not necessarily like no it's actually really similar to now where they were in their 20s um but here's 14 year olds and so my mom was shocked and horrified that she'd just found this like how did she not know this before now and so she kind of fell down the rabbit hole of looking up you know did emma know about this how many people was he sealed to oh wow he was sealed to more people before he even told her and all of this stuff um and because she realized that joseph smith was a con man she found out about the kinderhook plates all of this stuff just all at once then she looked up more stuff about other prophets unfortunately our family history mm-hmm. and just everything else basically and she was obviously stunned and so from what i've heard from my siblings it was like a week of her and my dad just talking mm-hmm. in his office no one was allowed in and they were all really worried um about what was going on and i had no idea any of this was happening i was still on my mission yeah. and Uh, One day I just get an email from my mom that said that she was really struggling and that she uh, just didn't tell me what she found out, but basically just said she thinks that they might not go to church anymore. And that's all she said. And as a missionary, I was like, let me reconvert you. And I was just like, you know, everything's going to be okay. And then I told her about an experience I had the night before in a lesson, you know, just where it felt really nice to just you know, and I viewed it as a spiritual experience. Looking back, it was just, you're talking with people and that's nice, you know? And so I'm explaining all this. My mom just replies, um, well, we're still leaving, like just something really, really curt. And I was like devastated and I had no idea about what was going on. I knew it probably took a lot. I was shocked. Um, and I kind of, thought that maybe it was because she missed me or maybe because I knew she had a really hard time with me leaving. So I just was immediately trying to think of solutions. I was freaking out. And then a few days later, um, I get a call from my mission president, who was the new one, who was really formal and everything. And he never called. So I knew something was up. And I answer and he's like kind of freaking out. It's in the evening too. So yeah. I knew this was serious. And he said, you know, your mother is very insistent to talk to you. And my mom, she's, she's very fierce. You know, she doesn't take mm-hmm. no for an answer. So I can just imagine her like trying to jump through all the hoops to get to talk to me. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, you know, sounds like you're just gonna have to talk to her. And he didn't tell me what she had said. He wouldn't tell me anything. He just said, just calm her down. Um, we'll pick you up in the morning to drive you to Santos. You can talk to her then and then come back and it should be good. Like he was being really vague, but he had a really serious kind of scary tone. So I was just freaking out. I didn't sleep at all that night. Um, so they came in the morning, they picked me up, uh, with my companion and, and I just gotten a new companion too. So she was the same one that had 
been with me when my grandfather died and all this stuff. We already didn't have a great relationship. She didn't like that I was very freewheeling, mm. understandably. Um, <laughs> and so I feel really bad for her now. You know, she was having to deal with a lot. So we get driven up to Santos. We get there and I call my mom and she she doesn't even like build up to it she just blurts all of all of it out to me and keep in mind beforehand i'm expecting to have to reconvert her and we're gonna have this spiritual thing and all of a sudden i'm given all this information that i had never heard of i don't have a computer to look it up as mm. she's talking to me but i know that she wouldn't lie about it because i knew yeah. that she's the one who had us join mm. there's no way this is you know bs or anything and she has on speaker with my dad i can hear my siblings and they tell me that they've packed up all their stuff and they're in a hotel in salt lake city waiting for me and they hope i'll come home and i'm just kind of freaking out for a second and trying to take it all in and i'm listening to her and she didn't start with the pedophilia she started with some of the other stuff and it really bothered me already but i I was just trying to like justify it and try to figure out a way to stay. And then she started talking about the pedophilia and how he treated women. And that really triggered me. And right when she said all that, I knew like, there's no way I can stay here. Like there's literally no way I can stay here. There's no way I can stay in the church. And it just kind of all clicked. And that's when a lot of things kind of fell into place. That's when I thought about how weird the temple ceremony had been. That's when all of this stuff that you're not really allowed to think about Mm -hmm. just kind of came pouring in. And it kind of felt like I woke up for the first time in four years. And so I decided I would come home and I knew it would be really hard Mm -hmm. to get out of it because they had my papers, they had everything. Mm -hmm. Um, So my mom was just like, all right, well, I hope, you make it here, you know, within the next couple of days, but call me when you can get to the States, just borrow somebody's phone. And I was like, okay, well, hopefully this goes all right. I'll just figure it out. Um, so I hung up and I went to my mission president and I was just really short with him and was just like, I want to go home. And obviously he didn't take no for an answer. So he brought me into his office and we were there for hours. He wouldn't let me leave. He had the door shut. He didn't let anyone come in. And I think part of that is just, you know, he had known my grandfather. Mm -hmm. My grandfather was really well respected there. So I'm sure he felt like he would have felt like it's his duty to keep a missionary there no matter who they are. But I knew, especially with it being a family that he knew, um, but it was horrible. He did a lot of shaming. He, it it was really bad. Um, He kept saying that my grandfather would be disappointed. He spiritually like blackmailed me and threatened me and, just said a lot of like horrible things Mm. and when it became clear I was not budging but I was just getting angrier with him and it was just confirming more and more how crazy this whole thing is um he ended up calling my stake president and put him on speaker and I had to tell off my stake president too because nobody was listening to me they wouldn't give me my papers they wouldn't pay for a plane ticket home it just was insane and so he ended up calling a general authority and i've blocked out most of that conversation Mm -hmm. but i'm pretty sure it was bednar um and he gets on and he just immediately snaps into bearing his testimony just what they always do and i would i cut him off and i was like i'm going home and i'm just gonna leave right now and you guys are all gonna be held liable for me Mm -hmm. if you don't help me get home and 
I tried to be really insistent and keep in mind I'm still traumatized like I I'm having to act all tough and fierce and angry and I am angry but I'm mainly just sad and traumatized and knowing that I'm gonna have to leave and figure my life out now and what does this mean and so it was really really hard and awful to have to also justify it to all these people and insist and fight and they finally let me out of the room after hours and finally paid for my plane ticket after insisting but they paid for one that was going to leave in an hour and I had to go all the way back get stuff and then Santos is the halfway point between where I was living and Sao Paulo Mm. and so I know they did it on purpose too because I know there were other flights it's a big airport um but the mission president's wife she like would not talk to me she just gave me the coldest stare all the missionaries were instructed not to talk to me as I got in the car and I didn't have time to grab all my stuff and so I ended up just having to take whatever I could in my bag which was just random things most of which I threw out at the airport terminal because I didn't want to keep church stuff and so anyway I ended up making it I don't know how I took this crazy bus and I made it there with a few minutes to spare and I just remember changing into clothes that just did not match but at least they weren't like mission clothes and I threw my garments in the airport trash can I threw my scriptures in there I threw literally everything in there that I was just I was just a mess and so I got on the plane and there was immediately a freakish amount of turbulence and so I thought oh my god I made the wrong decision this is a sign I'm being punished and obviously it wasn't um but after that was all over and I was able to breathe and take in what just happened because I hadn't been like calm and by myself I mean you're never by yourself on a mission but I hadn't really had a chance to take it all in all day I'd gotten there in the morning this was now eight o'clock at night that entire day was just spent fighting and griping and trying to fight my way out of the country and it that was when it all hit me what this all meant and so I ordered my first glass of red wine in years and I just sat there drinking it in shock (laughs) and I got back and my family had already packed a U-Haul and we moved back out to DC and then ended up moving back to Washington but it was insane and I had to figure out what to do with my life and it was just it was crazy but yeah yeah. (laughs) yeah you got it all at once and all of the toxicity of the church culture like immediately outcast like before you can even make to the the airport like I know that was really tough and you're so young too and yeah. all these older people like wow that's crazy but it sounds like life is better now it is it's a lot better okay. um people always think you leave the church and everything is dark and you're lost and the thing for me was I knew that wasn't true because I had seen life outside of the church but I'd never met somebody who had been in the church and then left So I was really worried that I was going to have all this baggage that would keep me from having the life I wanted. And initially, it definitely did. I spent like a year and a half just traumatized, not knowing what to do and just working constantly and just trying to save up to do anything. I didn't really know, should I go to college still? I lost my scholarship at BYU, obviously, for all of that. So not that I would have gone to BYU after like leaving the church, but I just suddenly felt like I didn't have any options. So I just ended up bouncing around. That's actually how I came into writing. Cause mm. as a kid, before we joined the church, that was my goal. I wanted to be a writer and I wanted to make it, you know? Mm. And so that's when it hit me. Like 
a year or so after leaving that now I get to do that. Let me just embrace all that that means. And at that point on, there's still baggage, obviously. There's still trauma from just that day, but definitely just the whole time in the church and the sexism and everything. Um, But at least it's the life that I chose, Mm -hmm. you know? And so even with all the hardships and the baggage that I really wish I didn't have about the church, um, I'm really proud of the life I've made from Mm -hmm. it. And I don't feel lost. I don't feel like I'm in this dark space where there's no direction. It just feels really freeing. Mm -hmm. And um, I've always really appreciated that feeling, you know, but after being so stuck in a lifestyle that is very structured and as a woman I had like one option in life like men same thing but with a woman there's not even like a career choice or anything and so it suddenly felt like I had just been given the whole world you know and Mm -hmm. I don't know I just I wish that more Mormons would understand that if their hold up is you know they're worried that they won't have a life outside of the church it gets so much better oh yeah oh yeah well, you know, I'm always glad to hear that, you know, because some people, it is a lot harder leaving because you don't have that structure. You you kind of feel helmless a little bit. You don't really know where to go. So I like that, you know, you're choosing. I like how you phrase that. It's the life I chose. Um, do you have any, like, further advice for anyone listening that might be in those early stages of leaving the church? I think just listen to your gut. I think that there were plenty of times looking back when I knew that something was wrong. Um, But in the moment, it just kind of feels like this is right. You know, people assume that if you leave, you didn't have a testimony or something. I had a really strong testimony. I, um, I was so sure, you know, and it's not like I was struggling in the church, the things that were hard about the church. um, I, I didn't really view it that way, you know? And so I had a, really strong testimony and I was a really faithful member. I had callings Um, in young women's. I was the president of the laurels. Like I really took it seriously, but there were plenty of moments looking back where my gut was telling me something is up. I know that happened anytime polygamy would come up. It came up the first time I went through the temple. It came up really the first time I even did baptisms for the dead. I thought that was so weird, Um, but I just shoved it aside and I didn't even let it really form into a full thought, you know, but I think anyone who's even thinking about leaving just gut feelings are there for a reason, you know, and like Mormons could call it promptings, whatever you want to call it. It's there for a reason. And every single time I've listened to my gut, I've never made a wrong decision. Mm -hmm. Every single wrong, horrible decision I've ever made has been from ignoring that and thinking that I know better or just deciding that it doesn't mean anything. But leaving the church, you know, logic said, well, you know, logic kind of defies the entire church institution, but on the mission, logically, it was, I knew it was going to be hard. I knew that. I'd have to rebuild. I knew just the idea of logistically finding my way out of the country and back to my family was going to be really hard. It would have been so much easier to stay, Mm -hmm. but my gut, like I couldn't, I couldn't ignore it. It was the strongest feeling. And so if anyone has any sort of gut feelings, don't ignore it and just, just go with it. Just trust yourself. And I feel like in the church, they teach you that any uncomfortable feeling is a bad thing. It's of Mm -hmm. the devil any time you feel uncomfortable at all, it's of the devil. So you're taught not to have uncomfortable conversations. You're taught not to talk about serious things with your kids or your partner or really even yourself. 
Um, so Mormons are kind of taught to stay away from all these things that help us grow. Mm. And so I know that whenever they do have gut feelings about things that are uncomfortable, they don't see it as a sign from God. They think of it as a test, like mm. a temptation or something. And I would say, get that out of your head. Trust yourself. Don't trust these leaders. Just, I can't even think of a better way to say it. Just people need to not underestimate themselves and they need to understand that it's a lot more straightforward than the church makes it seems like it is. There's, there's really no way around it. Your gut feelings are usually always right. I couldn't agree more. Um, and we're about at an hour. Like I said, I don't want to hold you up too much. Is there anything I haven't asked that you want to get into? Um, no, I feel like you covered it. Um, it's just kind of been a wild ride yeah. <laughs> with everything. Yeah. But I'm curious, what made you end up leaving? Um, I started having doubts on the mission, just going through like the Doctrine and Covenants. And then, um, um, yeah. And then <laughs> that, I that'll do it. got home and I was like, supposed to meet my stake president. You know, I went to, uh, to pick up my car. It was in like a, a mechanic shop and and I'm still a missionary, so I have the radio off, and, you know, I have all these expectations in my head, like, you know, you're set apart before you leave, I'm expecting, you know, a, a similar sort of ordinance and spiritual experience, um, and then when I'm talking to my state, pre state president, um, he just stopped me, and he's like, all right, well, you can just take off your tag, and I take it off, and he's like, well, you're not a missionary anymore, you can leave, oh. and I was just like, wait, what, like, okay that's weird so it was very underwhelming and then I got in my car and I'm like well I'm not a missionary so I guess I'll listen to the radio for the first time <laughs> and I did it and I just felt no guilt and I was like that's yeah. so strange like 30 minutes ago I would have felt so much guilt for doing this and nothing yeah. really changed but this guy saying some words and that was kind of like the first shelf item um, but it wasn't until I left Florida and went to Utah that I really just wasn't jiving with the church it wasn't what I thought it was it, it started making me want to do the research so then I found the CES letter after about a year uh -huh. and yeah. still felt like you like oh I'm being tested God is you know or the, well, Satan rather you know is testing me and so I just started kind of doing little experiments like every night I was like okay well I won't pray before bed and I'll just see how I feel and that led to well I won't go to church and I'll just, you know, see how that feels. And, you know, I realized that it was actually fine and I was feeling fine. And, you know, before I knew it, it just kind of was a, it was, it was a slower process. It wasn't like a grand exit or anything, but mostly it was doctrinal and, and social. Just mm. not really Those feeling, big ones. yeah, just not really feeling accepted in the Utah culture. Um, and then just the more you learn, it's really hard to ignore it, you know. I don't know how people can do it, you know. For me, I couldn't do it. I couldn't either. I think, honestly, there's just so much that I find out that Mormons do know about that I don't understand how you could pretend that that's okay. Mm. Um, I know there's a lot of Mormons lately who are being called out on a lot of their racist policies, the fact that the Book of Mormon itself is super racist, mm -hmm. just in its whole idea of racing an entire people's real history, you know? And anyway, I know that a lot of them like already knew that and they've just been justifying it with, we don't understand God, God is mysterious. Yeah. Our mortal ways could not understand. And 
I've never been that sort of person to be able to do that. So I am grateful that it was all at once yeah. and it wasn't in you. Like, I can't imagine having left in Utah being surrounded by it still. It really helped that when I left, it was, I was gone. My first yeah. job out of the church was at Starbucks. Like I jumped right in, you know, yeah. and I think that would have been really hard. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, cause I had to stay, I was in school. So oh. you know, I was there for a couple more, a few more years, but looking back, I was definitely extremely depressed. I was definitely angry for a long time. Yeah. I isolated myself a lot, pushed a lot of people away, but I'm better now, you know, I'm That's much good. happier, you know, it was good to get out. I think if you have the opportunity to get out of Utah after a big faith transition like that, that's definitely the move. Um, it just helps like not to be surrounded by it. No one's going to ask you about it. People probably won't even know what Mormons are really. No, um, <laughs> they so don't. You can just start a whole new life. You can start fresh and you can start making your own choices and finding out what you really like. And, you know, it, it, it gets better on the other side. You know, that is a, a truism for sure. Um, really does yeah um well like i really appreciate you coming on and chatting with me and sharing your story um i hope it was beneficial for you it's always therapeutic to talk about it (laughs) but yeah i really enjoyed this and um this will come out in a couple weeks so i'll send you everything okay you you can give it a listen okay thank you and i'll make sure to spread the word and everything yeah i would appreciate it but yeah i really enjoyed this anyway so thank you a lot Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Focal Point Podcast for the Focal Point Cinema and Sound Company.